Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Welcome to Montana's Peer Network Recovery Talks Podcast. I'm Jim Haney. And I'm Andy Daniel. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about the road to recovery. And we thought we would start uh, in the very, very beginning. Like, I mean, we were talking like, what, first three days? Yeah, like the first three days after you leave treatment. Yeah. Inpatient hospitalization treatment center. Yeah, we're talking very, very, very beginning here. So, road to recovery. That's going to be our topic for today. This takes me back a little way when I, when you first mentioned it to me, and I think about it. I just passed my anniversary the date, my recovery anniversary date, which is uh, past my 25 year mark, which has already made me reflect. And then this was the topic, and so it's pretty fitting. Even though it's been 25 years, which is a long time, it still is like very fresh in my in my mind because of the whole experience being hospitalized. How, how do you feel that way when you reflect back? Yeah, I do. I'm not sure there's ever enough distance from that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. those things still pop up from time to time, and I'm kind of big on anniversaries, right? So same time of year comes around or something like Uh, that, uh, then it sort of brings it to the forefront for me. Yeah, I I think uh, I was like that a lot. It impacted me more um, in in the past, not not quite as much um, today. Although, you know, this anniversary, you know, just, I don't know, because of the number or whatever, gave me some pause and I just thought about it a lot more. Yeah, I I mean... I just passed my tenure. Ah. Congratulations. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think anything can come, can can prepare you for, and, and I'm going to use the word, the trauma yeah. of being hospitalized. Is that a fair word? Absolutely. Is that, it is a trauma. Yeah, and, and having, you know, been a peer supporter and going back into psychiatric hospital or behavioral health units, you know, um, I see people and I really feel they're not just their suffering, but I, I feel for them because I think you have a long road. This is just one stop on that train. Yeah, it doesn't matter I, how much time goes by. It, it is. It's it's pretty traumatic. And But we wanted to talk primarily about right when you get out, yeah. like right right when you sort of leave. So, so what was that like for you? I have three. I've been hospitalized three different times. So I have kind of three different experiences about for you, Andy. Well, mine, I had two sort of right on top of each other. One for a week and then the next one just, actually, I didn't even get a 72 hour hold. I got like 15 mm. hours or something. when it Just a came. quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This stabilization kind of thing. So, and that came after the week of inpatient treatment. So, obviously, 
things did not go well in inpatient treatment, right? Because I ended up back in the hospital within a few days. And I think the hardest thing for me was not to have anything set up at home. You know, I'm four hours away from home at treatment. My insurance ran out after a week. They said, oh, you're going home tomorrow. Stuck me on a train sent me home and that was it I didn't have I didn't have a supply of medication I didn't have a therapy session set up and I had been seeing a therapist before that and I mean she was involved in getting me into inpatient treatment but nobody told her I was leaving wow and wow. I and you know when you're at that point you feel kind of you're isolated right and now they've taken you out of your community and so you're isolated even more and if you haven't built any skills in the time that you're in there, how able are you going to be to make those connections on your own when you get home? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think having having some things set up while you're still on the inside, if you will, right? having some things sort of set up on the outside, appointments, medications, some peer support, support group, you know, natural, any natural supports you might have. I think those things all are beneficial. You know, I had one experience when I got discharged and yeah, I was like, here's a couple of brochures and see ya. Nurse, my last hospitalization where I checked myself in and checked myself out and had a bit more in place. Um, not not as much like when I think back, I think not as much as I probably could have benefited from, but definitely having some things in place. I think that when I when I think back to being discharged, I don't know if you had this this experience, but the biggest impact, the biggest part of it that really still sticks with me is I felt like I had this neon sign above my head that said crazy or I don't know, mentally ill. I don't know. I can't remember what I was thinking exactly at that time, but just this, like, I felt like people knew by looking at me. I know it's absurd, but like if I was, you know what I mean? Like you're in the car and right. Like, I don't know. Like I just felt like I had this banner on me or something. I, I don't know. Um, which is totally internal. I mean, that that was, right, that was... Yes, but I think some of that, at least, like, around here, is related to if I disappear for a week, people uh-huh. here are going to know I disappeared for a week, right? And... Yeah, but you could have went on a fishing trip or something. There's going to be all I mean, kinds of rumors about what actually happened to me, uh, but, you know. But I, I know, but maybe you met somebody right. and you went on a vacation or something. I don't know, like... I mean, there's nothing that really says, like, oh, you've been hospitalized, you know, for your mental health. Like, there really isn't anything. I I don't know. I I just, that sticks with me. I mean, I can actually remember one of the car rides. Like, I actually remember it because it was so jarring to me and just, and nothing happened that I can remember, but just my own internal thing. Now, I do agree with you once you get home and you, in the following weeks and days, you begin encountering people who go, hey, I tried to get a hold of you and you weren't home. Now, I totally agree with you with that part because now it's like, oh, you either have to tell them the truth or you have to make up some good lie. Right. right? And I'm really bad at lying. (laughs) I went on a trip with the theater group. Yeah, that's what I did. went on a road trip. (laughs) You know, Shakespeare in the Park. We went across Montana. Yeah, no, I 
that was the biggest, that was definitely getting out was the biggest thing. And, and then the realization that nothing changed. Right. I, I had this idea in my head that being in the hospital would make me better. Right. Just like, just like if you had an illness and you went into the hospital, you would get medication and IV and, you know, right. And then you'd come out and you're theoretically, you're better. You're, you're more well than you were when you went in. I definitely did not have that experience. No, and, I didn't either. And, I, I did not yeah. feel any more well when I left. Yeah, yeah. I did have, you know, one of my hospitalizations where I, and I've shared this story many times, I first met a peer supporter. That was in my second hospitalization. I met a peer supporter and, and he gave me some tools, you know, and he was a role model to me. So I did feel a little more equipped when I got out. Um, but... There's just no way I was prepared. I mean, there just was so much and the rawness emotionally, the sensitivity, the medications, the appointments, all of it was very overwhelming. And I had a lot of family pressure to get better. And my experience kind of was that I I didn't feel connected to anybody and I didn't feel like I could ask anybody for help. So it was as simple as I walked home from the train station, which admittedly is not like a huge distance, but I didn't feel like there was anybody I could call to come pick me up. Somebody should have, yeah, but there should have been somebody to do that. Right. And so if I'm not even comfortable enough to ask somebody to pick me up at the train station, how am I going to ask for other help? Yeah. I mean, these are a real deal. These are real things people face. Yeah, it's kind of like, we're done with services with you. And then it's just sort of like brushing your hands off, like, okay, we're done. Like, But the reality is money has been spent. Energy has been expended. You know, people have invested in you while you're there. But then the minute you you sign your discharge, it's like, you know, and, and really, if you think about it, if we would invest a little more in people, that time when you first get out, which is so critical, I think, that first little bit when you're first getting out, whether it's three days or the first week or, you know, like, it's so critical to have supports in place. <clears throat> and I feel like this is a real, uh, this is a role, an effective role for peer supporters. And I know in other states, they have these peer bridgers who actually work with people when they're discharging and help them with that transition for the first bit of time. I would love to see something like that in Montana yeah. um, because I think it would cut down on those kinds of things. People who get discharged too, too soon, which that's what happened with you. And then you went, you said you went back into stabilization center. Yeah. Yeah. I was back in kind of yeah. an overnight thing. And, you know, honestly, at, at some point I felt like, Oh, well, I'm not, I must not be as sick as I thought I was. You know, all of these other people here are in worse shape than I am or something, which wasn't really true, but that was my perception. Well, I'm, I must not be sick enough, so I'm not getting as much help as I need. So one of the things that happened to me when I was in that crisis stabilization is a, there was a, the doctor who was on call came in to talk to me, not a, a mental health professional, a Right. practice doctor came in and she told me that when she got divorced she moved in with her parents and she was incapable of taking care of her children for a period of time uh-huh. and that was so huge to me uh-huh. to go oh 
you look functional. Right. But you had the same experience. Right. So while it wasn't peer support in any real way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but that that's where that peer support stuff could have helped for somebody to yeah. say, you know, I've had a similar experience and you're not crazy or right, right. whatever those right. things are. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it sounds like the doctor was just being human. Yes. And sharing her own life experience and relating. She had a gem, little gem story, right, from yep. her own experience and sharing it. And it makes an impact. And yeah, I mean, that's the role where you could have peer supporters playing who, who share that. Because so in the one... One of my hospitalizations, they had a guy who was just a volunteer. They didn't even call it peer support. This was back in the 90s. Um, but that's what he was doing. Right. I mean, he was there and he would pick out a person and, you know, kind of mentor them and shadow them and, you know, share his story. And that's what he was doing. He was doing peer support and it was very effective. It changed my whole life. It opened me up to all kinds of things, just, you know, that recovery was possible that, like you said, you know, whoa. You know, look at this person. You seem functioning. You at least get to leave here every day. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, those things are huge when you're not well. And the only the only outdoor time you get is in a brick courtyard, 20 feet tall, right? Like, I didn't you know, with these, outside. <laughs> these walls, you know. Yeah, I remember that one had a, it was just like a, it was just like 30 by 10 it was, you know, like, but the walls, it was like brick walls, like, you know, 25 feet tall, you know what I mean? So, like, you could look up at the sky right. and, you know, maybe there's a little sunshine at the right time of day, but otherwise, that's your outside, right? So, I'm looking at this guy, this peer supporter, thinking, well, dude, at least you get to go out the right. door, you know, like, I'm kind of stuck here. But, yeah, I mean, it kind of opened me up, plus the other piece of that that impacted me was the idea that um, not just that he was better, but that I could learn something from people who had a similar experience. Right. In other words, he didn't come in and go, oh, I'm a PhD, yada, yada, yada. He just came in and said, no, I'm just this normal person and I just volunteer and I come here and this is my experience. And tells me a story so that it kind of was like, oh, there's value in this. I don't have to have a doctor or counselor. I can learn from just, yeah, yeah, I can learn from just a regular, what I would call a regular person who had a similar experience. And I think for me, that was like a little bit of a leap, you know, because part of me, I remember after my first hospitalization, there was a, there was a group and it was other, this was how it was described to me, if I remember right. These are other people like you who've been hospitalized. And I was like, I don't want to be around those people. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It was like, right? Because I'm looking around the hospital and I'm thinking, I don't want to be around these people. Right. You know, like in the beginning, because there was a lot of like, I'm not sick like them. You know, like I wasn't fully grasping how unwell I truly was. A lot of minimizing and right. so it's like I don't want to be around these people like what like you know and so that was and so to meet somebody who had a similar experience was healthy right was yeah. healthy not not somebody who's still sick you're not going to a group of people who are still sick like you they're healthy so that that helped me too like to see that like there was real value in that this guy and so when him sharing his story and then like, oh, yeah, it is similar to mine. And, oh, you're good. How did, what did you do? How'd you do it? You know, like, 
those those are the thoughts that you start having, not like, oh, you're still sick. Well, it's hard. I've often had that feeling like um, if you're working with professionals who have never struggled themselves, uh I feel like it's harder to connect to those people. Sure. And so having that bridge of like a peer supporter so that you're getting like multiple facets of treatment, right? If your therapist doesn't have that particular experience, at least you have somebody in your life that does. Yeah, I would say that's definitely key too. I would, I would totally agree with that. Yeah. And, and I think over the years, I, I'm very choosy about my counselors. Yeah. You know, like in the beginning, you're like, I'll pick anybody, Right. (laughs) you know, but getting more choosy and, People who are more willing, like that doctor you were talking about, people who are more willing to share their own experience, those those people go on the list of candidates for me. Yeah. The people who, who aren't willing to do that, I don't want to even work with them. I don't. I have no interest in that because I think that's what's missing. I really felt like that was what was most effective with me. And now in the role I have today, and I look at the system, I think that's the piece that's missing. We're not willing. None of people are willing to share their experience because I think as a whole society would be shocked at how many people actually have these kinds of experiences. You and I, we talk about this every week on these podcasts, and there's actually a lot more people out there who have these similar experiences, but the shame and the guilt over it is too unbearable for them, and you don't hear about them. You know, they don't, they wouldn't dare talk about them or fear of retribution from their job or loved ones or whatever, like, so... And I can imagine as a doctor, it would be hard to disclose that, like, publicly. It was probably different for her that it was the two of us. Yeah talking about yeah, it. Yeah. In in Billings Clinic, they have a psychiatrist, Dr. Arzubi. Uh, he's open about having a diagnosis. He shares it with people. I think it helps him bond with people. I, yeah. People really like him and connect with him. And he's very personable and very human. He's had lots of great conversations with me, presentations that I've done and comes up and talks. And he's always super open and shares things and shares about medications or, you know, things he does. And I think that's just wonderful. I know this professional code about not making it about you, (laughs) but he's not crossing that line by any means. It's more, you feel more connected to the person. Yeah. The guy that I met when I was in the hospital, it was only while I was in the hospital. Right. Right. When you get out there, you know, right, then there's nothing. You got to go find your own. So, yeah, I think getting back to our topic, the first few days, I think having things set up, and then who are the people in your life who can help you, like your thing, pick you up from the train station, you know, drive you home, those kinds of things. Um, well, you can't you know. necessarily plan for hospitalizations. You can do some recovery planning kind of stuff that would yeah. help, I would oh, think. Yeah. Uh, oh, for you sure. Know, if- if sure. you're struggling a little bit, take some time to make a plan so that if you are hospitalized or choose to enter inpatient treatment of some sort, that you have that plan with you and yeah. you can say, here are the things that I want, here are the things I don't want. Yeah. But yeah. you have to do that when you're healthy. You you can't yeah. do that while you're no. sick. No, no, no. Right. you got to do it ahead of time. And you can have, you know, like a toolbox, like we have one here at the office full of um, different kinds of wellness tools. You know, I think my own self, like, man, when I came out of the hospital, wouldn't it have been great if I had something like that where, you know, there's a chocolate in there, there's almonds, there's bath salts, there's a candle, there's a, 
you know, a journal book, there's a CD, you know, would it be cool if I had my own, like when I came out and it had some of this stuff in it, you know, these are comfort because it's just, I said this earlier, I mean, I felt so raw and so not well. I mean, just was, it's pretty overwhelming. And I think a few days a week, of quiet like one of the things as i'm reflecting now sort of remembering is the the hustle and bustle of life like coming out of the hospital right and that there's this busyness and movement and volume of noise and that was kind of disturbing to me kind of disrupted me internally and so having some calming things would have definitely helped me like one of the things i know i had turned to was guitar, playing guitar, something you do by yourself. And I think I would have even been happy with some reading material or workbooks Mm. or something to focus me in on things that I needed to do. Sure. Um, You know, like, they gave me a couple of handouts about rap planning, but nobody actually, like, sat down and worked through it with me. okay. And also didn't... And then I didn't have anything to take with me, right? So... In addition to those comfort things, I might not be in a place today to read that information, but maybe I will be tomorrow. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think giving people resources, information. I mean, I loved something like Healthy Minds, Healthy healthy Bodies when I left. Because it's, you know, you can read little pieces of it. You can work through the exercises. It would have given me something to focus on. Yeah. And you, something like that where you can kind of jump in wherever. Yeah. It, you don't you don't have to read it front to back. You can just kind of pop in and do something and then put it away for a week and pick it back up and it's fine, right? Yeah, I think that's definitely something I mean people to think about is what are you what are you really gonna do when you go back home? Like what is that really gonna look like? And what prep work can you do ahead of time? And the other piece it really comes to mind is um, the stressors. So something got you in the hospital. Yeah. And so if you go back into that same environment and nothing has changed, it's kind of a recipe for disaster, right? Right. How do you address the stressors that you left, you know, and it could be for, for people, it can be a variety of things. It could be legal problems. It could be problems with your, your partner. Right. I right? was in the midst of you know? divorce at that period of time and nothing changed yeah. when I came home. Right. Right. So what do you do? I think that's a big one, right? Because you're so fragile, you're so raw, and then it's like you're going right back into that same kind of scenario. So what what kinds of things can you do ahead of time to minimize the stress? And coming out of the hospital, I, I couldn't work. There's no way. There There's no way I couldn't function. There's just, there was no way. So that creates a whole other set of issues. How do you feed yourself? How do you pay for your home or whatever, you know, whatever bills you have. I mean, it's really, it, it is a very traumatic experience overall. There's so many different elements to it. I think really you have to be considered, but having a plan and reaching out to people, you know, I, we get a lot of membership forms show up at the office, you know, and I mean, we don't know where people are in their recovery, but I think, man, what, how could we help them even more? You know, like what else could we be doing to help people? Because especially early on, you need so much support. Well, and knowing that you are the expert on you, even sure. when you're not healthy and not functioning very well, 
you know yourself better than the people in treatment know you. And I think it's hard sometimes for us to look at professionals and say, nope, this is what I need. And it's not what you're telling me. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't comfortable doing that. Looking back now, I would, you know, if I ended up hospitalized again for some reason, Uh I think I would be able to fight more and say, no, I'm not going home today. Uh I need more help with, you know, whatever. But I I think those first ones are just so hard to get hard to get your bearings. It's it's hard to figure out what you need. You know, I, I think if you have more than one you keep learning about things, you know, that right. work and, and don't work, but right. Right. you don't necessarily want to have to go through five of them before Yeah, I think it's a real critical time and I think if people get off kind of on the right foot and have some good things in place. I think it increases the odds of success tremendously. And I know a lot of places will use the excuse that it's a HIPAA violation to to another treatment provider or family or whatever. But when you're talking about care coordination, those things have to be shared. Yeah, it's pretty explicit. And if you just look up, you know, HIPAA, rules and care coordination. I mean, it's very explicit. It says right in there that the coordination of care, your therapist is the person who brings you into treatment. The therapist needs to be called. You know, they need to know like you're coming back home or, you know, they need to be involved in what you're doing. This model that we use where we sort of isolate people, we take them out of their natural environment and we put them away in these rooms and you know no one can go in there your own family can't even access you and we're not going to tell anybody because HIPAA 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 um, it's all garbage it, it really is um, it's real garbage and the people that are back home that circle of folks whoever they may be loved ones friends families peer supporters therapists doctors whoever they need to be involved and we have to stop putting up these barriers i think because then you come back and people don't, they have no idea and many times i think you go back into a bad environment so how about working with those people how about taking a look at the environment we're sending people back into so we can address some of those issues too while the person's in the hospital or in a treatment program, how are you going to succeed? You can help people with all the tools they want, but if they go right back into some unhealthy environment, the odds of success drop dramatically, and we act as if like isolating people is going to help, and I don't think it helps at all. I think that's why we have low um, rates of success with things like outpatient programs, treatment programs, very low, high relapse rates, you know, because we're not considering the other part where they're going home. They're only there. You're only there for a short period of time. Yeah. So if, if you're yeah. a family member or, or a friend who's who's listening to this, I think one of the best things you can do is talk to the person about signing a release so that yeah. you can share information. I know my yeah. one of my kids was hospitalized a couple of months ago, you know, for three days or whatever. And I knew she was, she was going and she, she had been away at college. So it wasn't even like she was in state when it happened. But every time I talked to her or her friends who were, you know, getting her to the hospital and that kind of thing, I said, please sign a release for me so that I can talk to 
the doctor right. or whatever. Yep. But it's not yep. something she would have thought of on her yeah. own. Right. And we need professionals to promote this, too. Yeah. Like, you know, we need the professionals on that end to make sure uh, you're doing an intake and we're finding out who are the folks. I, I remember, um, so we started this peer support program and going out on this call with two sheriff's deputies and a case manager. And the case manager had been working with the individual for a couple years. And we're driving. They picked me up. I got in the car. We're driving. Four of us are driving out. The person is holed up in the garage. And so we're coming out to try and talk to him. And on the way there, one of the deputies says, what's the name of the parents who own the garage? Now, I've never met this person. Uh-huh. Right? I have no idea who the person is. And the case manager does not even know the name of the parents of the individual they've been working with for two years. Right. So I said, well, can you call the office and have them look in her file and see? Sure. Calls the office while we're driving there and has someone else pull up the file and look. It's not in there. Right. We have have no idea. That's what I'm talking about. Like, we don't even bother to ask, who do you live with? Oh, I live with my parents. Oh, what are their names? Oh, Bob and Sally. Okay, look, I'm going to put that in the file in case we ever need it. Bob and Sally. Now, we get out there. We don't, we don't even know these people's names. I mean, that's that's the stuff that, like, I mean, it just is like, wow. It's like we, we don't even care about the person's environment that they're living in, right? Like, we don't even, it doesn't even occur to anybody to even ask. I think those are some of the... When I was going through intake, it was more about if somebody calls and wants to talk to you, they need uh, to be on this list. But right. nothing beyond that. Nothing like, yeah. can we contact this person so we can do some planning or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right. Give us a list of the people that it's okay to tell that you're here. Well, and don't you think that that's a little bit silly because <laughs> you're in a psychiatric hospital and in your intake, like when you're at your most acute we want you to tell us who the important people are, right? right? Like, it's like, I'm really sick. Like, how am I supposed to come up with that list right now? You know, like... And you're probably not feeling like there's anybody to support yeah. you, right? Or you m- probably wouldn't end up in well, the hospital. Exactly. Exactly. Right? I mean, it's really kind of backwards. It's really, you know, it's not like I broke my leg and I went in and you're like, hey, who do you want me to call? Yeah. You know, like, okay, well, while you're casting my leg, let's give these people a call. It's like, no, it's like, you're you're not doing well, like, emotionally, mentally, like, you're not. Uh, it's really, anybody who's listening who's had the experience of being hospitalized, you know what we're talking about. It's pretty universal. I've talked with people. Just, it's pretty universal. People feel kind of the same way, the stuff that we're sharing. Um, and if you haven't had that experience, thank goodness you haven't had that experience. If you're listening because you have a loved one who has a diagnosis, ask them while they're healthy, what can I do? What if this happened? What could I do to help you? You know, like get, get involved while things are good. And so you know, like what, what you can do and the releases, recovery plans, advanced directives, things like that. And I think it's so hard to tell if you're going to get to that point. You know, I, I had struggled with depression and stuff for years before my hospitalization, and it wasn't something that I ever thought was going to happen. Uh-huh. So I think it's important to think about those things, even if you don't see that as a possibility. There should be something in a plan that says, you know, here are my emergency contacts or this is the kind of treatment I want or or whatever, um, because you never know 
what can push you in that direction. Can sneak up on you. Yeah. Well, this has been a pretty good conversation here. Yeah. We're going to work on this as a series of Road to Recovery. So, yeah. you know, this one is the first, you know, leaving treatment. And we're going to start doing some more that are different phases of recovery. So if you've got a good, a good experience that you'd like to share with us, we'd love to have you as a guest on a podcast for anything, not just this Road to Recovery, but uh, for any kind of recovery-oriented yeah. Uh, information. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we really appreciate it, and we will catch you uh, in the next one. Yep, have a great week. Bye-bye. Recovery works, and recovery is possible. Recovery works, and recovery is possible. Recovery works, recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. (laughs) Recovery works, and recovery is possible. Recovery works, and recovery is possible. Recovery works, and recovery is possible. possible.